So Money Episode 963, Kathy Heller, podcast host and author of Don't Keep Your Day Job. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. When I look back at my career, everything, it all comes down to having the courage, right? Like having the courage to call NBC when my hand was like shaking and I would think, yeah, just go through with the phone call. Like, you have music, right? So, so are you going to allow your fear to stop you from having this conversation? But then when I would get on the phone, I would never talk about me. I would say, hi, Jane, how do you like your job? And, oh, it's Halloween. What are you dressing up as? And do you have kids? And, oh, what are your music needs? And how can I ever help make that better? And should we get lunch? And I realized it was like the courage to, to, to show up, but then it was really about empathy. Empathy, hard work, grit, compassion, flexibility, all characteristics of someone who's willing to pursue their passion unapologetically and successfully. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Tremendously honored to have Kathy Heller on the show today. If you love podcasts, you know Kathy. She's the host of the popular show, Don't Keep Your Day Job. It was given the number one spot on iTunes, recommended list of shows for the new year in 2018 and 2019. Hashtag goals. Kathy is, as she describes on her site, and this is very true, a fire hose of inspiration. If you are looking for some Monday motivation, you've come to the right place. Kathy and I discuss her humble beginnings coming to Los Angeles with the hopes and dreams of becoming a singer, profiting from her passion of music. Didn't quite work out the way she'd hoped, but how she hung on to that passion and pivoted to create a career that is making an incredible impact on her life and those around her. Her new book is aptly titled, Don't Keep Your Day Job. It comes out this week. It's filled with fantastic stories from people within her own tribe who've decided to take control of their life's journey. Her book goes into detail about how to find the work you are meant to do and level up your quality of life all around. Here's Kathy Heller. Kathy Heller, welcome to So Money. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to hang out with you. We were just joking before we went live, quote unquote live, that it's about time we connected. We have a lot of friends in common. I'm a big fan of your show, of your podcast. Um, and I want to talk you about- have, What? We do have a lot of friends in common. I just want to give them a shout out because Susie Moore and Laura Bell Gray and Ruth Sukup, like I get texts like all over the place. Do you know Farnoosh? You really should meet her. She's really incredible. Like I've heard it. I've been surrounded. Well, the same, same here. And all those ladies have been on my podcast. So if you're listening and you're like, who are these women that we're name dropping? They're They're all um, super successful and powerful ladies in their own right. So check out their episodes on So Money. Kathy, you've built quite the empire around supporting people in their... um, endeavors to become self-employed or entrepreneurs and you know really you're you're changing lives uh, I should you know that right you know that right 
Aww. That feels so good to hear that. Um, yeah, it really is. Uh, it's the work I just feel so called to do. I want to see people feeling seen. I feel like people feel so invisible and it, it hurts me so deeply. So, um, yeah, this is what I want to do. So I love that you just said that you think I'm making a difference and changing lives. That, that's, that's the goal. That's the point every day. We'll get used to it. I'm going to be bragging about you a lot during this episode. Um, your podcast is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. It's a iTunes favorite. It's a, it's a listener favorite. It's one of the most listened to podcasts out there. And it has inspired now a book. Um, before we get to the book and um, kind of your work today, let's go back in time because you just mentioned, you know, you want to help people that sort of feel maybe ignored or um, not noticed. And perhaps there was a time when you felt like that in your um, comeuppance in your career early days. And I know that you have a much different background. Like today, you're this media empress, but you started in the music industry. You wanted to be a singer. Tell me, take me all the, all those years back and, and share a funny story or two. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you're, you're right on the money. Uh, no pun intended, because it's true. Like when somebody feels deeply called to do something, it's most likely because it comes from their own pain. And I grew up feeling totally invisible, uh, invisible, invisible. I really did feel unseen. Um, my mom struggled with depression my whole life and still does and was dealing with suicidal uh, attempts when I was growing up. My parents split up and my dad has now been married a few times and is not really in my life so much. And so as a kid, I just felt like, does anyone see me? Like, does anyone stop to notice or care? Like, did I make it to school? Okay. You know, all of that stuff. And I also saw my parents so miserable and struggling. And I thought, is this what it is? Like, do you grow up to be an unhappy adult? Is this, do you do all of these things to go to school and go to college just to be 40 one day and in a difficult marriage and looking around, not liking your job. And my mom had always wanted to be an artist, but she never pursued it. And she used to tell me over the breakfast table since I'm four years old, how like things like that don't happen. It only happens if you're lucky. And I thought, Oh God, like this just feels awful. And so I was determined. I really, my mom's life was such a cautionary tale. Like I didn't want to grow up to be in this really depressed state all the time. And so I was like, you know, the only thing I love to do is sing and write music. And the music used to help me through all of those really hard moments. And so I did that thing that you see in all those movies. I drove across the country with my old beat up hand-me-down Volvo that had a big dent on the side of it. And I listened to Tony Robbins cassette tapes on the way out here. I was 20, 23 and I didn't have anything here. I didn't know anybody. In fact, I'd never even been to Los Angeles before. I just came out here and I thought I'm going to get a record deal and I'm going to be seen and noticed and heard. And, and then all those people who never saw me, like they'll, they'll feel so silly because they'll, they'll hear me. And I got a day job. Um, and I found a roommate and she was an actress and I was pursuing music and, I worked as an assistant at a reality TV show company, which was a job I found on Craigslist. And I just worked super hard to get a record deal. And lots of things went down, writing horrible songs, writing mediocre songs, then writing better songs and doing my best to ask the question, like, who could I meet and who could I talk to? And finally, I actually did write the right songs and get the right meeting. And I did get signed 
to Interscope, I was actually sitting at Sunset Sounds, which is a recording studio with Lady Gaga when she was recording Paparazzi. And yeah, I had just gotten signed. And I remember Ron Fair, who was my producer saying, you know, what do you want from Starbucks? They're going to get coffee. Tell them. And I thought, oh my God, someone's getting me coffee. Like, this is so cool. And they said that I would be like the next Natalie Merchant. Like that's the kind of vocals that I have. Those are the kind of songs that I write. And, um, I just felt like this was it, you know, like I had arrived and six months later I got a call from Ron. I was driving on the 405. He's like, uh, call me when you get off the freeway. And I called him back and he said, we're going to have to drop you from the label. And I said, I knew that you wouldn't call me unless it was like something like that. Um, he said, you know, Jimmy Ivan really likes you, but we don't feel absolutely certain that we're going to sell millions of records. Like we think you're good, but maybe not like, it's not a guarantee that this will be a radio hit. And so we're going to drop you from the record. He's like, but I'm sure we'll, we'll our paths will cross. And I'm like, right. You know? And I hung up the phone and I sat there in the car and I just cried so hard. I felt like, I felt like in the wizard of Oz where she meets the wizard of Oz and then he can't do anything. He's like, Oh yeah, I have no power. So there was no other weird place to go. You know, like sometimes you can delude yourself into thinking, well, if I actually got there, they'd see, but then once you're there and they drop you, you have this really clear message that like, this isn't going to happen. And the truth is, Farnoosh, I knew he was right. I, I knew because, you know, I, I felt a little bit like I was a fraud in the sense that everybody always has imposter syndrome. We'll get into that later, I'm sure, because it always comes up. It's such an important topic. But I was sitting next to Lady Gaga. I was around people like CeeLo and Jack Johnson, and I would listen to them and I would think, my voice is good, but I don't feel like I'm an Olympian. Like they are literally Olympic. I don't know. They're literally like, you have to go on tour 10 months out of the year. And maybe it was partly that. Like there was a part of me that was like, am I really willing to give up my whole life? whatever future. I mean, I wasn't married or have kids at the time, but I thought, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know if I should do this. And a little part of me actually thought maybe I was making a deal with the devil. I felt like maybe you're going to sign this record deal and then you're never going to have like a real life. You're going to be like out in the orbit somewhere. And there's going to be people in the dressing room, you know, like doing drugs and you're going to be scared. I don't know. I, I actually felt maybe it was the right thing on some level, but I didn't know where to turn. And so I got a day job. And I felt horrible. I thought, oh, this is the part of the story that everybody tells you is going to happen where you have to grow up and you have to be realistic, Kath. You have to be practical, Kathy. Just stop dreaming. You could be happy when you retire. You could be happy on the weekends. And this is this is real life. And I'm like, oh, great. Okay. So I start to get different jobs. I worked at a nonprofit because I thought, oh, if I'm not going to do my dream, I'll, I'll do something good for the world. And it was so dysfunctional and so stressful. And then a friend of mine said to me, if you're not going to do what you love, you should just make money, make a lot of money. Cause otherwise what's the point in working at all? I'm like, Oh, okay. So I worked for a guy who was in the commercial real estate world and he paid me 150 grand to sit in his Brentwood office and basically make calls for him to set up lunches for him. And I knew that it was a pretty cushy job and I was not I was not, I wasn't bad on the phone. I was pretty good talking to people because I was so unassuming and I was so not part of their world that I could just like talk like a human. But I woke up a year and a half later. I was like, 
okay, yeah, I can eat sushi whenever I want. I wear really cute jeans and I'm driving a tiny little Mercedes convertible because I could afford to. I was single making 150 grand a year. I'm like, I'm so miserable. Like, I can't do this money thing. I can't. I can't just do it for money. It's so unfulfilling. And I remember I just started to cry. I was like, I have to figure out a way to be myself. There's got to be some other way. There's got to be something between Beyonce and nothing. And so, you know, like, it's like ridiculous. Like, can't, and I feel like there's so many people in the world, people who are listening right now who they would love to, to bake something, but they're like, I'm not Rachel Ray. What's the point? Or they would love to make some pottery, but they say to themselves, Oh, you know, it's, it feels like it's all or nothing. And so I decided to look into it and ask the question, like, how else could I do music? And lo and behold, you know, if you ask yourself the right question, you will, you will find answers. And I wound up realizing that there was a whole other path, which was licensing music to film and TV and commercials. And so I saw indie artists whose songs were on movies and TV shows like Grey's Anatomy and, and ads like Old Navy and Walmart. And I decided to figure out that whole world. It was a beast that I knew nothing about. I started to make as many contacts as I could, writing cold emails, sending, uh, doing cold calls. I would walk into people's offices with Starbucks and say, hey, you know, would you like some mochas and music? I was, I did everything I could to meet the people choosing music at Sony, Paramount, Lionsgate, NBC, and all the ad agencies like Ogilvy and Deutsch and um, McCann. All the, and I flew, I flew to the ad agencies. I, I got on a plane and flew to Minnesota because a lot of the ad agencies are there. I flew to New York a couple times. And I made friends with people who chose those songs and I asked them what they needed and how I could use my gift to write those kinds of songs. And it worked. And I wound up making probably like three to 400 grand a year for about 10 years. I did that full time. And in that time I got married, I had a baby, another baby, and i started to be written about in different magazines like Billboard and Variety, these full page articles they would write about me doing this. And every time I meet with the journalist, I would say, is this really newsworthy? And I remember Phil Gallo, the editor of Billboard, said to me, don't ever ask that to a journalist because like you should don't yourself short, right? And don't second guess the fact that I think is and I was like, you're right, you're right, sorry, sorry. Um, and these full page articles would come out and then people would ask me to speak at different music schools and then people would ask me to speak at different creative conferences. And all these other artists started asking me to be a guide. Like, how do you monetize your passion? What are the steps that you took? How did you get through to those people on the phone? How did you figure out how to serve your client? I'm like, oh my God, I don't, I don't know. Do I know? And I realized that I did know. And I realized that I loved teaching it. And so I started a course called Six Figure Songwriting, teaching songwriters how to break into the film and TV world. And the class made like $2 million a year. And I started that a few years ago and I started helping thousands of songwriters from all over the world to really take accountability, to get creative, to lick, you know, stop licking their wounds and start taking action and the right kinds of action. And then one of my students said, you really should start a podcast. And I said, a podcast? What? Why? And she said, because everything you teach is applicable to anybody. It's not just about songwriting. This is really about being a creative and figuring out a way to find the work you love and get paid to do the thing you love. And I said, well, all right, I'll try it. That sounds fun. And so my third daughter, I have three girls. My youngest had just been born. She was like 10 days old. And I said, what the heck? I'll just try it. I'll start a podcast. And uh, we started the podcast and it's been two and a half years. We have about 9 million downloads 
It has been such an extraordinary ride. I've gotten to interview people like Howard Schultz from Starbucks and Bobby Brown, the amazing makeup artist, and uh, Tamara Mellon, who started Jimmy Choo, and Jen Sincero, who wrote You're a Badass, and people like your our mutual friends, Laura Belgray and Susie Moore and Ruth Sukup, and authors and all kinds of creatives um, who are doing things that they feel make them feel like themselves. And now I do a lot of coaching um, to help artists really figure out what are those pieces? How do you break it down so that you can do it? And that's it. That's the whole story. Oh, yeah, that's just it. <laughs> really straightforward. Uh, but you said something about, you know, could I teach this? And you said, yes, I could. And so I'm curious to know if you could share some of that framework, like people listening mm-hmm. now and they're thinking, I want to transition from being just an artist to actually being an entrepreneur with my artist craft and or yeah. you know, making more money, which is hard, right? For a lot of artists who have kind of grown up with this ideal of, you know, pursue your craft, the money will follow, or don't be pursued by the money because that somehow is not virtuous. Where do you begin? Maybe it's mindset work. You know, what can you give us some advice? Like, how do you make yeah. that shift? Yeah, I think that we should talk about that. And then I think we, we I could give you some like real tangible steps also, because they're both so important. Um, you know, the first thing that I would say to start is that everyone who's listening, myself included, and we talked a little bit about that, but we've all by the age of like eight, everybody has experienced heartbreak, a real, real loss. And it needs to be honored that people have just been through it. Like, Tremendous stuff has, has happened and, and people have gone through grief and trauma and rejection and pain, all different types. And it doesn't matter if somebody's story is worse or better. It's, it's not relevant. It's your story. And it, it's, there's a lot of pain there. And the reason I'm saying that is because when you're a child and you go through pain, the thing that you decide you're going to do is protect yourself. And so part of the reason that we don't do more of what we love is because we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to really want something just to find out that we're being rejected or it's not going to happen. It's painful. It's painful to open yourself up to what you really dream about. And if you go back to when you were really little, like in a preschool classroom, there's no child that doesn't love to be creative. This just doesn't exist. Every person just comes in the world so ready to play and there's this unbridled enthusiasm for life and the thing that all those kids have in common is they are they're willing to be messy you know they have paint on their hair and on their sleeves and up their nose and and it's okay and what happens is at a certain point in life we we make that not okay and so we don't even begin unless we think it's going to be absolutely perfect or we're definitely ready, whatever that means. And I think that that's all not really real. I think that no one's ready. I think, um, I think what successful people do is they feel like throwing up and they start anyway. I think it's a lot of courage and not, not just the courage to put it out there, but the courage to tolerate your inadequacy because in order to make something brilliant, you're going to have to have the courage to make something really mediocre at first. Your first podcast is not going to be the best one. Your first painting won't be the best one. The first time you make a batch of donuts, it won't be the best. And so you have to give yourself the grace and let yourself really just be a part of a process and, and also let yourself want things. And 
And then the next really important mindset piece is the belief that it's possible and the belief that you deserve it. You hinted to that before, you know, there's a lot of shame around who am I to be happy? You know, is that really what life is about? And um, my friend Emily McDowell said the other day, she said, God's not tracking your vacation days. You, you know, you're not an employee of the universe. You, you're, you're here to be, to, to be a person who's alive and awake. And what is the point in being here unless we really enjoy? And the thing is that when we do fill ourselves up, we, we reverberate this incredible energy and we give other people permission to play and be happy. So it's really a beautiful gift to the world to take care of your own well-being. But it's not really something that people even attempt to do anything about if they don't believe it's possible. You know, we're smart. We're not going to do something unless we think that it's going to be a fruitful thing. So most people like people listening to the show, maybe you've bought a lottery ticket once or twice, but most people are not buying them every single week. And it's because you don't think it's going to pan out. You're not stupid. Obviously you could spend the $6 if you thought it was going to happen, but you don't. So if you don't think something's going to happen, you wouldn't take the action needed. And, and for things to happen, we need to take massive action. We need to really dive in and get our hands dirty. So that belief around the fact that it is doable is really important. And in order to make that something that you begin to hold to, you know, close to your heart, which then will move you into action, you have to charge your batteries every single day, just like you wouldn't you wouldn't get up and look at your phone and throw it across the room if it didn't turn on. You would know like, oh, I should have charged it. You know, it needs to be charged. This phone is meant to be amazing, but it's got to be charged. And it's the same thing with you. You, you. People assume they're not cut out for it or they're just, there's something wrong with them. Or if people only knew how much, you know, sadness I, I had going on. It's like, no, you're like everyone else. Our, our brains were built to protect us. And so they assess danger constantly and they're constantly worrying because it's a stimulating thing for the brain to worry and look for problems to solve. And so we need to know that and charge our batteries and fuel ourselves with the things that are going to get us in that place where we feel bold and brave. And we are going to then be able to take action. You have worked very hard. It's obvious, Kathy. But I think one of the things, if, if we can say, was lucky for you, and I only say this because I, I don't know if there is any sort of way to really arrive at this without just being fortunate, is that you knew instinctively what you were passionate about. You were drawn to music and you were relentless about that. And even though maybe the traditional, quote unquote, traditional path of like becoming the singer didn't pan out, you pivoted still holding on to this passion for music. Some of us still, even in our 40s, don't know what we're passionate about. Perhaps we haven't taken the time to really get in yeah. touch with that side of ourselves, or we don't even know what the exercise should be. Have you ever coached people on just that? Oh, yeah. And by the way, I love that you shared it that way because you're right. I thought that to myself, how lucky when I meet people who know what they love, I say, do you know how lucky you are that you know, do you know what a gift it is that you know what you're passionate about? Some people don't even know what that is. And I had this woman on my show, Emily Esfahani Smith, who is a researcher and um, she has a very famous Ted talk called why happiness is overrated. It's a great Ted talk. Anyway, she told me that, two thirds of the population does not know what they love. Only one third is like, yep, that's me. That's it. 
like eight years old, you're like, I want to be a dancer, like only a third of the world. So that means most people actually either don't know, or there's like four things that it could be, and they're not sure which one to choose. That's very, very, very common. And the way that you work with that is you give yourself the space to play and to explore it, right? And to get to spend some time with yourself. And so one exercise is take out a sheet of paper and a pen and write down like, what would be my like five dream lives? And just without asking the question, is it practical? Like just write it down. Like what comes out? Maybe you write down like living on a farm or being a floral designer, just, just see. And then one fun thing to do is like close your eyes and picture yourself doing each one of those five things and notice which, which one makes your chest feel like the most expansive and which one feels like a little constricted in your body. And then I might circle the one that felt the best physically in my body. And I would say like, what's one teeny step that I could take? You know, could I visit a farm? Could I research a few farms? Could I just like think about one piece of that? Um, another thing that's really important to do is to, is to understand that for all of us, when Angela Duckworth was on my podcast, she has a great book called grit and a Ted talk talk about the same topic. And she said, you know, our passion project, our purpose, it's not something you discover. She said, I hate that word. It's not discover it's develop. She said, it's like taking a, a negative of a, of a photo and, and you develop it and it's, it slowly starts to come into view. And I think that that is really important to understand. I think most people think you either know it or you don't, you find it or you don't. I don't think it works that way. And I think what's also interesting to know is all of the research that I've done, all the people that I've spoken to will, will share that we're not really seeking happiness. We're seeking purpose. We're seeking contribution. So sometimes even if there's something that you're super quote unquote passionate about, the thing that might be your work in this world and your purpose might be something else. And the only way to figure out what that is, is to move into action. And then what happens is I think it's like a scavenger hunt where like you follow this whisper and you take action and you do this one thing, which leads you to, leads you to a place that you get a little clue and then it, you move into the next place. And like you said, I, I made a few big pivots along the journey. I started out with this, like, I want to be Sheryl Crow. And now my dreams are so different. I mean, all I want to do is keep serving as many human beings as possible. And I host a podcast and wrote a book and I coach that is, that was not on the five year or 10 year or 40 year plan. I couldn't see that. But what happened was I just started to take massive action toward what I did think it was. And then what I think happened, there's this great word in Japanese called the Ikigai. And the Ikigai is a combination of three things. The thing that you're best at, the thing you love, and the thing that you do that other people love and need. And when those three things come together, I think that, that that's actually really the passion and the purpose. Because I think the thing that makes us happiest is meaning is feeling like we're making someone else's life. The world is better because we're here. That sense of meaning is really what's fulfilling. So I think we all have the ability. We all, we all, we are all qualified to find that sense of purpose. And so I would say if you can just like start walking toward this thing that is whispering and, and start to do stuff about it, you know, if you're, if you're feeling this 
this, Oh, I, I think I'd like to be a baker. It's like, well, try it, start, see what happens. And then we can talk about what those steps would be, but it's possible that you start doing that. And it leads you to a YouTube show. Maybe it leads you to, uh, hosting dinner parties where people have connected conversations. I don't know. All I know is in this life, what I've seen is there's tremendous synchronicity when people step into the flow. And when you start to be creative, it's sort of like you are divinely guided to where you're needed most. And I think in order to get there, we have to have the courage to start and then be open to it looking different than we maybe think and keep our eye on the prize of where can I serve and where am I being directed? Where's the yes? Where are people saying, come this way, come this way? Does that make sense? Yeah. So just to summarize, I mean, I'm hearing so many important things from you. One is that you have to put yourself out there, be action driven, but also service driven, be willing to be flexible, get feedback. And I loved what you said earlier about tolerating your inadequacies and giving yourself grace. These are all such (laughs) important, all this wisdom. You're putting things in context that I, for me, has been really wonderful to hear and inspiring. And I'm sure for listeners and maybe transitioning a little bit to money for a second in terms of, you've shared so many great kind of philosophies on (laughs) how to pursue your passion, your career, think about shaping your life. But when it comes to money, what's a philosophy that you follow a mindset? Uh, I love, I love money and I'll tell you why. So to me, money is a couple things. Money is, is a resource, right? Um, and it's, it's value, right? That's all it is. It's a story we made up and we took pieces of paper and we gave them different values, right? This one's $5 of value. This one's 10. That's all it is. And it's a, it's a way of trading value for value. And so really it has a lot to do with our own self-worth, right? And it also has a lot to do with empathy because if you figure out a way to serve the world human beings will pay you for the thing that you make or create or offer. And that is their way then of giving you value to trade you for the value that you give. And so in many cases, when somebody is successful, they've created something someone needed. They figured out a pain point. They figured out a desire that someone else had. So there's a lot of empathy at stake. And I think that that's really at the core of one part of how I really look at it. And when I say it's a resource, I say that because so often I hear people say, you know, I want, how much money do you want to make? And just, you know, if I could just make, it's, it's always a just, like I, I could, if I could just make a hundred grand, that'd be amazing. Why would you want just enough? Like if you thought about other resources, like oxygen, like water, I don't know, but I want plenty of oxygen. I want plenty of water. I don't want to feel like you know, when you, you take a hike and you're on the top of a very high altitude and a mountaintop, it's hard to breathe. You, there's just enough. You go to breathe and there's like just enough oxygen. Nobody wants that feeling. You, you want to really feel like there's plenty of oxygen. You can just keep breathing all day. There's no shortage here, right? It's a bad feeling when we start to feel like there's a scarcity there. So I think there's a lot of shame around what we're worth And there's also, I think people have a hard time with money because some people think that making money means convincing other people to pay you for things. And that's where it doesn't work. I think that if you're making money, I think it should come from really, like I said, radical empathy 
And the more that you really understand how to serve, the money is just people are happy to pay. It's like saying to somebody, you know, maybe somebody says, I really need someone to help me. Um, I need a trainer. I need a Mandarin tutor. I need anything. And then a person says, oh, I know that person. You're like, great. I'm so happy to pay for the thing that I need in return, right? It's a gift. So if we know how to show up and give the person the results they need or the thing, the experience or whatever they're looking for, it's, it feels good for them to be able to, to have it and to give you something in return. So I think it's important to reframe our relationship with money. And I know that you know this because this is really your expertise, but people have such such a hard time. I think that we are what's modeled for us growing up. A lot of people see money as the source of the pain in the marriage and their parents' marriage, or there's a lot of stress or there's a lot of, um, who are you to have it or having it will make you a greedy, mean person. And they know I asked Gretchen Rubin this, she was on my podcast a while ago. And I said, so you've been looking at happiness for the last several years of your life. So tell me about money. You know, do you need money to be happier? Does money make you a happier person, a better person, a worse person? What do you think about money? And she said, you know, Kathy, it makes you happier. I said, wow, well, that's pretty bold. Why do you say that? She said, because it's just freedom. You know, if, if you don't have to worry all day about how you're going to have enough money to buy a sandwich, you have more freedom. So let's say you don't have to worry about where the money's coming. You can spend all day thinking about what you like to make and how you're going to offer more of yourself in the world. And, and that's, a, that's really the blessing of time. And she also said, you know, Mother Teresa is quoted to say, it takes a checkbook to change the world. So she said, I've met people who have you know, money who are jerks. I've met people who don't have money who are jerks. It's not mutually exclusive right? You know, it's not like, you know, if you have money, you'll, you know, you're going to be nasty. Like you've never met a person who's, who's struggling, who's, who's financially struggling, who's, you've never met a person like that. Who's not nice. Like, what are we talking about? But we, we paint these pictures and then we sabotage ourselves. Cause you think, well, I don't want to wind up like those superficial bits. Like, yeah, you don't need to. I mean, there are of course going to be those people on both sides, but there's also people who have money whose names are on museums, whose names are on nonprofits, who, who spend their time hosting dinners in their home and bringing their friends, the, whatever generosity they can. So you get to decide, right? And I think it's important to, to really start to unpack that stuff. I love what you said about, you know, if money is freedom, why would you want to limit your freedom? <laughs> more money yeah. is more freedom. That's like the most simplistic way to put it. Like if anyone out there is doubting why they need to make more money or what is the significance of that, if you feel like you've got quote unquote enough, think about it like that. You know, if money is a basic resource or a basic kind of um, key to freedom, then I want all the freedom. More money is more freedom. Yeah. And you know, also it's like, maybe just maybe the creator of the universe, however you want to look at it, maybe, maybe we're supposed to enjoy and, and take, and maybe they're not, there's not supposed to be so much shame around and so much apologizing around having, maybe it's like, have, have it. Yeah. You know, well, and, and think about 
And I feel like sometimes we really limit our thinking in terms of what this money is going to do for me. And we may feel like we have quote unquote enough, but thinking about money as an agent for change, not just in your life, but in the world, right? So it's an opportunity, the more money you have to implement the change that you want to see in the world by, you know, investing it in um, the businesses that you want to thrive, the people that you want to help, the communities that you want to grow, the politicians you want to elect. And speaking of politicians, there are some leaders out there that believe that billionaires should be abolished, that nobody should become a billionaire. And I said, my husband and I were talking about this the other day, and I, he, I said, you know what should get, be abolished? Jerks. <laughs> yeah, That's the root of it. Like you said, it's not that money turns you into uh, an evil person, you were an evil person to begin with. And money just made you more of that person. I mean, I just heard Bill Gates speak the other day and the amount of money that him and his wife have raised for good causes, education and healthcare and children's health in particular. I mean, and, and Oprah, I heard her speak live. I've seen her live twice. And I remember her saying that she feels like it's such a huge responsibility to have so much money. And she sees it like such a honor. Like God gave me the gift of being the custodian of this money. And so he's trusting that I'm going to use it for good. But does that mean she's not going to have a beautiful house in Montecito? Of course not. Does that make her less than? Nope. You know, there, when I, and also now that I'm making seven figures in my life, I can tell you there's a huge difference in how it feels to stay at a five-star hotel and a four-star hotel. They're not even in the same universe. It's completely different. It is a completely different thing. People think like, what do you need it? It's like, it's so different. It makes you feel so much more dignity that the, 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 the service, the, the, the quality of the towels, like, and guess what? I go to those hotels and they're half empty. It's like, there's plenty of room for you. And we keep ourselves from it because a, we, we think that there's shame around it and B we haven't figured out that if we really could keep finding ways to offer value to other people and to show up for other people, the money comes, there's money everywhere. And when you're making it, especially when you're making it through being, being in service in some way, God, how cool is that? And, and then people say, well, I don't want to, you know, my passion or my purpose doesn't feel like it's about, you know, curing a disease. It feels like it's about making donuts. Is that bad? And I say, no, like Candace Nelson is a good friend of mine. She started something called Sprinkles Cupcakes. She has a TV show called Sugar Rush. She's very, very well off. And she's very, very happy because she has an entire brand that people associate with the, the, the treats that they, they get delivered to each other for birthdays and, and parties. And, and it's, it's such a happy life, you know, and, and she, why would that be not adding value to the world? I mean, think about walking down main street, thinking about walking down main street and there was only science and, and technology, right? Like there was only a pharmacy, and there was only a parking garage, but there was no ice cream shop. There was no wine bar. There were no bead stores. Who wants to walk down Main Street? You know, like you are serving the world by adding 
light and color and music. And, and, you know, you and I were talking right before we started about how pop-up museums and stuff like that are all the rage. The thing that people want more than anything is so simple. They want experiences. That's what they want even more than they want the thing. And so it's what kind of experience can you create? And when people walk into your bakery or when you create that yoga retreat or when you, whatever it is that you do, if you can show up and give people a sense that they're seen and they're heard and you're listening, they want to keep going back, you know, and they, they want to be around that. That's what people are craving because there's such loneliness. And so think about that. It's like, how could you show up and start to serve? And by the way, I started making seven figures before I had a podcast because I started a, a class helping songwriters uh, license their music. And we're not talking about a hundred thousand people taking the course. We're talking about a course where at $2,000 a pop for six months of me literally showing up, you know, all the time live plus modules, plus me doing all these things. You only need a few hundred people and you're off to the races and you're helping people. And I was astounded by how it's so doable. Like you, everybody has so much value to bring and to do, whether you're making the Candace Nelson cupcakes and you're starting with one little bakery or you're, um, teaching something. We, we can just start with our little corner of the world and boom, you're making a million dollars and you're liking your life and you're helping people. You know, one of the things that I've found in my research, Kathy, is that when you're grateful for what you have, it actually leads to more abundance and wealth Mm -hmm. in your life. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you've experienced this and you know this. So one of the questions we're asking our guests this month in partnership with our sponsor, Chase, is what is an aspect of your financial life that you're really grateful for and why? Mm -hmm. When I first moved to LA, I wrote a song called Fly Away Home. And... The first verse is um, Sunday nights, I would go for a drive and the hills were lit up with their twinkling lights. And there was a place at a table and someone was waiting for everyone but me. And and then the chorus is it talks about how then I met my husband. And then in the chorus, we I knew that we could somehow fly away home. And the second verse says, um, I used to hide under the sheets while my parents would fight till I fell asleep. And I dreamed of a day when I'd have a say in what a family could be. Now we sit on the sand and look at the sky and I'm happier than I've been in my life. And I know from this moment that things will be different because you are here with me. Let's fly away home. And if I sang it for you, that'd be probably even more fun, but I didn't feel like being so bold right now. But the reason, the reason I mentioned it is because I used to drive around on Sunday nights in particular Sunday nights. And I felt like everyone was at home. And growing up in a broken home and growing up with a mom who's not really there even when she's home because she's really going through a lot, I always wanted to go home. And a few years ago, my husband and I were able to buy this beautiful house. It's this like beautiful Cape Cod house in Beverly Hills on this beautiful land with trees. And I remember when I got the key, I could cry right now thinking of it. I put the key in my hand and I want you to know, like, I grew up without having parents that gave me help or money or even emotional support. My husband, even harder. He, he slept on the floor in his apartment. His dad died suddenly when he was a kid and they lived in a little apartment and he slept on the floor and his mom and sister shared the bedroom. And the fact that I was able to buy this house, we're talking 
millions of dollars. I remember standing by myself in the house. I was the only one here at the time when they gave us the key the first time after we closed escrow. I was standing in the house, brand new house, had just been built. And I started to cry and I thought about that song and I could cry right now. I thought about that song I wrote and then I, my, I have three little girls, um, ages three, six, and seven. So this is a few years ago, but they were still little. And I remember that song from Rapunzel where she says, all those years, like looking through the window, all those years outside looking in, you know? And I thought, I'm going to cry because it's so emotional for me. But I thought, oh my God, you know, right now, like I'm here, like I'm inside and this is a home and it's not pretentious and it's not ostentatious. It's a beautiful home where my little girls are going to grow up and they're going to feel safe. And everyone who comes to the door is going to feel seen. And we're going to have dinners here and parties here. And this is going to be a place where people come together and gather and there's community and there's compassion and I get to have this and I never did. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you, Kathy. You deserve it. You earned this. Sometimes I don't even say you deserve it. I'm like, you fucking earned it. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is that I feel like when I look back at my career, everything, it all comes down to having the courage right? Like having the courage to call NBC when my hand was like shaking. And I would think, Kath, just go through with the phone call. Like you have music, right? So, so are you going to allow your fear to stop you from having this conversation? But then when I would get on the phone, I would never talk about me. I would say, hi, Jane, how do you like your job? And, oh, it's Halloween. What are you dressing up as? And do you have kids? And, oh, what are your music needs? And how can I ever help make that better? And should we get lunch? And, I realized it was like the courage to, to, to show up, but then it was really about empathy. And I thought, God, you know, everyone has so much inside of them, but we just, we don't think we're enough. So we don't pick up the phone. We don't start. We don't gain the momentum. We don't think we have anything to offer. And we try to be impressive. We try to earn it when really throughout my whole career, it all boils down to listening and finding a way to help and serve and give. And that's the same thing with my podcast, you know? So I think every person has it. We just keep telling ourselves that we don't or our seat at the table has been taken or whatever. And it's, it's not true. You know, like if I can do it, I barely graduated from high school. I was a C student. I, I mean, really like it, it goes down to those two, two ideas, like knowing that, People really just want to be seen. And, and, and then there, therefore you do have something to offer and then having the courage to, okay, so you're scared, but you're going to do it anyway. You're going to put it out there anyway, whatever the thing is that you want to put out there and then quickly make it about how this thing you're making can serve someone else and ask them questions about what flavors of the donuts they want or how do they want the flowers designed and, and have them ha- then have conversations that have nothing to do with the flowers and just talk about what the party's about and, why they love their grandmother so much and what their favorite memory is and just listen. Yeah. And it all builds on that. It does. Feeling supported is really important as well. And um, I didn't even get to asking you about maybe some of the mentors that you've had over the years because you have such a, sounds like you have such clarity uh, and perhaps there were people along the way that helped lift you up. And for anyone listening, if you need that person, turn to Kathy. She's got a lot of ways for you to connect with her. You're 
podcast, your new book, Don't Keep Your Day Job, also the podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job, your course. What's the best way for people to start getting into your ecosystem and and to start connecting with you? I would say start by listening to the podcast because it's free and I think it's really such great work and you'll love the guests and you'll love, you'll love it. Um, and then buy the book. Um, the book is so great because each podcast is an hour. So there's an investment of time, but a book, you could buy it. You can highlight a few, you know, lines and put it by your bed and take it with you on the plane or train and give it to a friend. And it's just like, it it has all of the essential pieces without you having to listen for hours and hours and hours. So, um, and if you do buy the book, um, before it comes out November 12th, then I'm offering bonuses, um, including a two hour live workshop that I'm doing November 11th. I'll be live. And if you miss it live, we'll send you the replay, but it's a workshop on how do you build the business? Like what are the actual action steps to take and how do you quit the job if you need to and build the runway so that you don't just have to take a leap um, so that you can actually build a successful business. And there are so many great steps there that you can really do rather than just saying, I have no idea what to do. There, there is a there is a strategy that's been proven. Kathy Heller, what an honor. Thank you for spending time with us. Uh, I took a lot of notes. You're so sweet. I, I honestly, you, you've changed, you're changing lives. You're changing, you just changed my life a little bit. Well, I, I have to tell you, I do a lot of podcasts and I don't really get teared up usually. Um, I mean, really, I could probably think of three times in the last, I mean, I do hundreds of episodes of my own show, let alone other people's shows. There's a real uh, wisdom to the way you ask questions and you create such a, container that I think it's obvious that this is your work. So way to go. That's such the best compliment. Well, I do hope that I do create, and it's hard to do that when you're not face to face and in person, but I try my best to let guests know that you're in a safe place. And my audience truly appreciates everything that you have to say and provide us with. And we hope to have you back again soon. And maybe I can even meet you one day. That would be really uh, yeah, transforming. That needs to happen immediately. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we're going to meet in person. Absolutely. And I will just continue to be here flying your flag. And you will be on my show very soon. Yes. I'm very excited uh, You'll for that. hear her on my show very soon in the, in, the, in the beginning of 2020. Great way to start the year. Couldn't think of a better way. Kathy, thank uh-huh. you so much. Thanks, honey. Thanks so much to Kathy for joining us. Her book again is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. It's also the name of her number one podcast. You can connect with her at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com, also kathyheller.com. And she's on all the social media, Instagram at kathy.heller and Facebook at Don't Keep Your Day Job. All this information is on somoneypodcast.com. And if you're there and you're curious about maybe hearing back from me, send me your question for our Friday episodes. Let me know what's on your money mind. Click on Ask Farnoosh. And there, let me know if you would like to co-host. I've had a nice string of listener co-hosts lately. I would love to connect with you if this is something you're interested in. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.